0: Sixth episode of the PM Podcast. Um, Shit is moving fast. Actually, it doesn't seem like that fast, actually. Six, seems like it's been a lot more than that, but I guess we'll see how things go. Today on the podcast, we've got Chef Ben Randall. He is the host and creator of In the Weeds with Ben Randall. It's a podcast. Check it out. He's been doing it for a while. Some of those early episodes he's got are are fantastic. It's just him telling stories like he's doing right now. He's a great writer, great speaker. So uh, check that podcast out. Wildly enough, I didn't know this before I started talking to him, but he actually grew up in Traverse City, which is at the north end of the Mit of Michigan. If you know Michigan, it's right at the tip. It's a very cold place, very cool place. Uh, And it's also kind of like a destination spot for cherries and for rich people and Republicans. That's not true. Um, But but, uh, oddly enough, I used to, I actually moved there back in 2000, mm, I want to say 2017. I moved there with uh, a great friend of mine, James Bloomfield, and he's out in California right now. Hopefully he listens to this. What's up, James? Shout out, James. And um, we worked at Eastside King back in the day with Paul Key. And he worked at Paul's restaurant when it first opened called Key. And we we met. I think we didn't like each other at first. And then we just became the fucking closest of friends. And then I ended up moving up there with him. And the plan was that we were going to spend the summer in Travis City, getting some money, helping this guy out. And then we were going to move to Chicago and then really get our asses kicked. And we ended up working for a guy, shout out Simon, who hopefully he's listening to this as well. Ended up working for him, uh, Simon Joseph up in Travis City. He runs a restaurant there called uh, Harvest. And it used to be a food trailer, one of the first food trailers in Traverse City. And that was called Roaming Harvest. Really simple concept, just basic tacos. But it was bringing, you know, shit to Traverse City that people really hadn't been exposed to. You know, like kimchi and goji and like Korean and Asian flavors and stuff. And as we talk about in this podcast, sadly, they are a little behind. Or at least they were back when I was there. The produce there is incredible i mean people talk about california produce but the produce in michigan is second to none it's incredible and the farmers don't get enough recognition so uh, but i ended up moving up there with uh with james he was kind enough to let me tag along and uh we we worked for simon at, at harvest and crazy thing is like i ended up kind of doing what I did at Eastside King, which is I helped build the restaurant. It was bizarre. I'd i never worked in restaurants in my life. And then I spent years at Eastside King working in all the trailers and working as a manager. And it was wild, wild, just like as a first kitchen experience. And I helped build trailers with one of the guys who built the trailers for Eastside King. And then I went up to Travis city and my first job outside of Texas was building a restaurant so it was wild we were putting up the walls and 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 i was like drilling into the floor it was fucking crazy like drilling into concrete and and metal floors i couldn't fucking do it i felt like such a little pussy but it's actually pretty fucking hard um but simon used to work in construction so for him he's just like move aside get the fuck out of here i'll I'll do it uh but he was kind enough to let me do that and pay me while I, while, while we were working because the restaurant didn't exist. He's like, he's like, come here, work at the trailer a couple of days, help me build the restaurant. And then, you know, come March, we'll, we'll have a restaurant to work in and then you can do whatever the hell you want. And so we ended up, uh, having a pretty big say, I think in, in that, that menu, like he had his standards and stuff, but he was very nice about letting us, uh, kind of fuck around and stuff and James had this this heirloom tomato salad that ended up being really uh, popular uh, I'm not sure if it's still on the menu there now but it was very popular and, and then I had some things that went on brunch menu that were uh, pretty popular it was, it was it was it was great I mean I had kind of a horrible experience there because I worked lunch and I was in a weird headspace and And I don't really work mornings. I'm not a morning person at all. People that know me know I don't work mornings and, um, I can't even get up in the morning, but it was, it was kind of a rough time for me. Um, because I was, I was, I was thinking about giving up cooking. I was thinking like I was such a bad cook. I felt like I was underperforming and I wasn't really progressing or as well as James was. and, and, I didn't know that I wasn't that kind of chefy kind of person creating dishes and things, so I was forcing it a bit. And at the same time, I was, I was spending all my time off just writing because I wanted to be a writer secretly. So I kind of came to this moment where I was like, do I want to be a writer or do I want to be a chef? And I was like, well, I'm really not that good at being a chef, so why am I going in that direction? So I ended up going more towards writing and things and kind of taking, uh, having, being a chef, quote unquote, taking a back seat. Um, but I really do cherish that time because they were Simon and James were both so nice to me and they, they kept telling me how, how great I was at it. Like they were like, dude, stop being so fucking stupid You're You're really fucking good at this. You're better than 90% of the people there. And I didn't listen. And, um, I really should have, because it was, it was a great time. And, and, and I didn't really like Traverse city that much and I was in a bad headspace So I ended up leaving, but like I said, I cherish that time and it's kind of been, I've kind of been reflecting on that a lot more recently because kind of going through this thing with this, with this kid at work, you know, you are, uh, if you're listening and, uh, he is kind of going through the same thing. He's like questioning whether he should be cooking and, and he's thinking, "Am I good enough?" And we're all telling him, "Like, dude, you're you're so fucking good at this job," and it just doesn't get through to him. And I just, I, it really reminds me of that time. But this episode is a trip because uh, not only is Ben such a great storyteller, he just like he pretty much carries this episode. But also on top of that, he's he's worked in a ton of different places. I mean, he's worked in, you know, hotels and mom and pop spots and he started at 14 years old. He just, he's got great, great experience and great stories. So hopefully maybe we'll get him on for a part two. I know I keep saying that with everybody, but it's, it's cool to have people like kind of get acquainted with how I do things. And then we can come, come back on and we'll talk a little bit about other things. I think in this, we talked about um, the bear about having him come on and, we'll have a little discussion about the show, the bear uh, aside from that, I, I do actually have uh merch on the way. I'll hopefully be teasing that soon. I got some tests coming in, I think next week. Yeah. Some special edition tests next week. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll tease those once they're out. I'll let everybody know when they're out. And then I got a whole line of what I call lucky peach ripoff merch. If you're familiar with Lucky Beach at all, they had this great logo that was like sort of like brushstrokes, like rough brushstrokes. Um, so I made that into a logo for Peon, so I've got that coming as well. And um, if you want to get in contact with the podcast or you got any suggestions or you want to just um, shout some sendies at me, uh, you can always get in contact with me on the Instagram as well as the pitch page on peonmagazine.com. And then if you want to support, if you want to throw a couple dollars in my way, as much appreciated it, it goes towards buying chicken for this upcoming issue. And then also for uh, offsetting the cost of, of the magazine and uh, design and writers and stuff. So anything you can throw my way, I really appreciate it. And you can find all the ways to support us on the support page on peonmagazine.com. Enjoy this episode. No weird, quirky stuff coming up. Just straight up, normal episode. Enjoy. Just by your podcast, you have a lot of stories <laughs> and stuff, yeah. so yeah. I don't know if we'll be able to get through all of it today. So uh, yeah, I guess let's just start at the beginning. You, uh, you said you started in kitchens when you were 14.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's, that's now wild. that's... It's thirty years ago now,
0: because I just turned
1: forty-four this year, which wow. in your first episode you mentioned that you're a lot older than you really are. It feels it, you know, like <laughs> I shouldn't have knees that yeah. creak quite as much as they do and that sort of thing. But like the mileage yeah. you put on your body in this industry is bonkers. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're like bombarded with heat all day. You're cutting yourself. You're yeah, you're down, you're doing like tons of squats every day to get in the low (laughs) boys and stuff, you know? Yep. Yep. So that's wild. I mean, I I thought, I thought, you know, 20 years was a lot, man. You're you, you got a lot of people built, beat, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I was raised way, way up in Northern Michigan, right? South of Traverse city. And so. Oh, cool. I used to live in Traverse city. My options for, for, oh, no kidding. It's. Yeah. Man, it's a great place to be from. There's not a lot to do there if you're no, over 18. No. <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's changed a little bit, but yeah. man, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, especially in the winter, there's not a thing to do. Just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But no, my, my options, because I wanted to buy a car. So my options were either work at the bookstore, work at the grocery store, or work at a restaurant. I had very limited options. So I ended up in the restaurant kind of by accident, but it also turned out that I was really pretty good at it. And I dug it. I dug yeah. it right from the first... The first minute that I was there
0: was uh was it a uh, is it a place is still there or is it is it
1: well the building is still there it's changed ownership a okay. couple of times it was when I worked there it was a mom and pop Italian place and now it's like uh I I don't even know it's like a it's a burger
0: joint I guess essentially you said it's north of Travis City what what's the town exactly oh just south so Interlaken just south. Oh, okay yeah. yeah I used to drive through that to my friend's my friend's house but yeah I'm yeah. familiar with that area that's that's really cool what were you uh, what we doing there at 14 were you actually cooking or were you doing like dishes and stuff so I, I tell people that I've never been a
1: dishwasher but I've washed dishes everywhere I've ever worked you know how that oh, goes yeah. course, um, no yeah. I, I started right on the pizza line so there it was a two-man oh, pizza cool. line and then we had a, a we had pasta and we had roasted chicken and and stuff like that and so there was there were two other people who ran the other the hotline, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I was slinging pizzas for two years, starting at
0: age 14. Dang. And, uh, was it, was it like a brick oven or was it like the classic? We
1: had a, we had a a double decker, uh, deck oven. So the five fifty, you know, the, the big dog, what sucked about that place. And I didn't know at the time, right? Like that was my standard was like, Oh, okay. It's a renovated house that somebody made into a restaurant. There was no hood vent. There was like a big square hole in the wall with a box fan put in it. There's no way any of this shit was up to code. Not a chance. (laughs) There's no way. Yeah. So not only were they not up to code, but like I'm 14, I'm working, you know, like an adult shift. So I was getting out of that place at one o'clock in the morning. But again, this was 30 years ago. So
0: wait, were you also going to school at the time? So you're like working doubles and then going to school as well?
1: This was, so it started off as a summer gig and then I would work weekends. So I was not full time for all those two years, but it yeah. was definitely like the day school let out the next
0: day I was back to the restaurant. Dang, man. That's, I used to go to work after school and I thought that was, that was rough, but it sounds like you were just working seven days a week pretty much. It, I mean, it got to that point, but I, I certainly
1: didn't, uh, I didn't decide to do that. It was just like what we're seeing now, right? Like it was yeah. just a matter of, you pick yeah. up a shift here you pick up a shift there and all of a sudden the management yeah. realizes they don't need
0: to hire somebody were you like the only the young person there were there other high schoolers there
1: most of the kitchen was pretty young so the oldest guy we had in the kitchen was probably early 20s and then everybody else was mm. between his age and my age yeah the front of the house was all
0: way older oh really yeah <laughs> oh uh what did you like about it what what, what attracted you to that job You know, it's been so long. I don't
1: know that I can identify it. It's what I still love about working in the industry is how tactile it is and how like you get that instant sense of of like, here's a thing that I just made and then it goes out and then you make another thing and then that goes out. And so the, the production of it, I think I dug right away. And these were people who were totally different than the people in my family, different than my classmates. Like it was a it was a whole different world for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Was it pretty, was it like a pretty gritty kitchen or was it pretty like, I don't even know what I mean by that. I guess, I mean, like I started in food trucks, so it was pretty, it was pretty gritty and down and dirty, you know, Um, but was it more of like a nice, like family restaurant kind of thing?
1: So once you got through the doors into the dining room, yeah. But the kitchen was, was, (laughs) was not that, you know, like it, 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 gritty is a great way to describe it, right? Like we had a recipe book, but unless you got yelled at, everybody kind of did what they wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, again, that place looking back on it, every time I look back on it, it was, it's more of a disaster than the last time I thought about it. Yeah. So I dumped over a mop bucket one night. I was mopping the kitchen floor and I dumped it over and I didn't know what to do. And I watched as the water was flowing down to a hole in the floor underneath the dish machine that just went to Mm -hmm. the ground outside. So I just got a squeegee and pushed all the water into that hole and I was good. It was that kind of place.
0: Yeah. Oh, I've, I've worked in places like that. You dump the gray water outside, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've I'm definitely been there. That's a good, I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing to learn when you're 14, but I, <laughs> I would probably say it's probably a good thing. I don't know. You kind of see how the world works really. Yeah. Like a dumped in on the, on the deep end, you know? Um,
1: I mean, every restaurant I've worked at since then has been better than that one. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Uh, how long did you stay there?
1: Well, like I said, I was there off and on for about two years um, between when I was 14 and when I was 16. And then once I got the car that I was trying to save up for, I was able to go to a different Italian restaurant actually in Traverse City and make that move up. You know how we do in the industry, you move up by moving out. So, yeah, I found a place where I could take the skills that I had learned at that place apply them to a different place and, and make more money and be at a, a nicer spot. Is, was it
0: a different station or was it kind of the same same food like that? Yeah.
1: So I, I hired in on their pizza kitchen because this place was, it really was just like a version of the place I was leaving, except it was actually a professional <laughs> setup, you yeah. know, and, and they had a separate pizza kitchen and all that. And once the chef there realized that I would come in on my own time and I would learn That's stuff, awesome. he had me making sauces, making dough, things like that. And then eventually I moved up to the hotline and I was doing, you know, fish cooking and I was making pasta and stuff like that. And that was, that all happened quickly. That was within the first year that I was there.
0: So you're, you're like 16 and you're already like on the hotline, Yeah, you know, working, learning all this stuff. What was that experience like? Cause you're like thrown in to the, this, this very adult <laughs> environment <laughs> where there's shitload of drugs and, and, <laughs> you know, and everybody's pretty much crazy. Everybody's insane. Yeah. So like, yeah. how, how was that? Well, again, it was it was totally different people. Well, that's a good question, too.
1: But it was it was totally different people from who I was raised by, who I was raised around. My parents are uh, intellectuals. My parents are both teachers. Right. My mom's a nurse. My dad's a chemist. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was in good with this group of people who were like you just said, they were all insane. And they all came from totally different backgrounds. Like my first drink was at that first restaurant. It was that like, you know, that Peter Vella box white cooking wine. Um, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Mixed with pineapple juice off of the pizza line. Right. Like, Jeez. it was the like the worst experience I could have had at that time. But it was exactly mm-hmm. what restaurants were to me then. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I was in I was in good with the cool kids. Kind of.
0: That was the feeling that I had. Yeah. Would you were you drinking on the line back then? Was that was that a thing that happened or was it was it always like after after work at the first place we would drink on the line? Um, yeah. And that came straight from the top.
1: Like, you know how restaurants are a very top down sort of yeah. a, a culture, right? At the
0: second place, yeah. we had shift drinks, but we didn't drink during during work. What was your experience growing up in terms of like drinking? Because I, I'm i not a lie. When I first went, to, I thought Austin was a drink in town. And then mm-hmm. I went to Michigan in, in the winter. And I was like, holy shit, we don't, we don't know how to drink. Michigan, <laughs> Michigan people yeah. know how to fucking drink. All they do is just skip from bar to bar during the winter. That's all they do.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, well, especially you get that far north. I, that's that's always the end of that joke about Traverse City is that there's nothing to do after you turn 18 in Traverse City unless you know the
0: guy who's having a bonfire out in the woods and there's a keg there, you know? Actually, yeah. My friend who I moved up there with, who was from Michigan, he said, all you do is just drink in the woods and have a bonfire. That's wild. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a yeah. There's a math to it that we don't really... Like you don't know it, but you can feel it. You want the bonfire to be far enough away from where you park the cars that the cops can't see the fire <laughs> if they happen to and drive you, by.
0: Yeah. And
1: you just go out there and, and drink and that that's pretty much all you do yeah. pretty much. And and for me, my experience was that it would be the entire crew from like two or three restaurants would all end up at the same bonfire
0: party. Oh, okay. So it was like a little restaurant crew, right? Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a pretty tight knit uh, city anyway, right? And back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what year are we talking about? <sighs>
1: I started, so by the time I was attending those kind of parties would have been like
0: 1995. So okay. a, a long time ago. <laughs> what was uh, what was Front Street like? Because pretty much Traverse City is li- literally just Front Street, right? Was a it little, a little more spread out or was it just centralized to that street? Well, I mean, these days it's actually
1: spreading out more and more, mm-hmm. you know, perpendicular to Front Street. So Cass, Union, 8th Street, all of those are starting to have more stuff on them. But no, you're right. Back in the day, it was that one strip. Um, There weren't the condos over there on East Bay. There wasn't the big parking garage thing over there on East Bay. Uh, We were just up there a couple of weeks ago with my kids because my folks still live up there. And uh, it's 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 not the town I grew up in. You know, (laughs) it's definitely got more stuff going on.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh man. So where did you go after that? Did you want to keep cooking in kitchens or did you end up going to to, um, college or anything like that? Well, so that's
1: exactly what I did. Uh, Both my parents are teachers. I figured I should just become a teacher. And so I went to college in Kalamazoo uh, to study English education. I was going to be an English teacher and I, I did three years of that and I don't regret any of it, but I did cook solid all throughout college as well. And then I got to a point where I was I'd hired into an Italian place, a, more of like a closer to fine dining Italian place. And they were part of a restaurant group. They had five or six restaurants. And I it was it was like, I get it now, but it was super messed up when I was a kid. Um, I hired in and then the guy who had quit, who vacated the spot that I hired into, came back. And they were looking at me like, we don't really have a job for you anymore. So they transferred oh, yeah. me to their fine dining restaurant. And I was, I was just like, all right. And at this point, I'm 18, right? So I'm working at this fine dining place on Pantry, and I started there in September. And by February, two people had been fired, and I was working the grill at what at that point was like the nicest restaurant in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Wow. <laughs> it was just
0: That's, it was it was nuts. How did you handle that? Did you even want to be on that station?
1: Well, it was I came in one day and I was told that the AM prep lady was taking over Pantry and I was working grill because uh, this fella, Alex. Was a long time ago now. I think it was name was Alex, had been fired the day before. And it was just my job now. And I was just like, oh. I was terrified. I was terrified for like three weeks. But the other I thing is that know. the sous chef and the saute guy had been there forever, and they weren't gonna let me fail because then they would have to do the
0: work themselves. So yeah. <laughs> I I was supported pretty well at that shop. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, was it a was it a wood fire grill or was it? Wood?
1: No, that one was it was a gas grill, and there was also okay. a uh, um, <laughs> a broiler next to it like a rollout broiler kind of thing oh okay which that station
0: was hot as hot as fuck but <laughs> you yeah. Know. Oh, yeah yeah i've worked i worked the a similar thing in a trailer in the summer in austin it was it was mm. insane it would get up to 114 wow. in the truck it was crazy i spent some time um, in houston i remember yeah <laughs> uh man i can't i can't imagine that being that uh 18 it was that a busy place yeah yeah yeah, it was funny, yeah. too, looking back on it now, because it was at, like,
1: you would turn down this road, and it was the first thing you saw, but then further down the road, it was a dead end in a, into a retirement community. So, we basically okay. had super rich old people who didn't want anything at the restaurant to ever change. We had the, like, broiled French onion soup, and we had, oh wow, um, like, a chicken Caesar sandwich, and we had to do... Um, uh beef wellington on fridays right every week and things like this so like old school kind of stuff and i didn't know that from anything you know it was yeah i got to learn a bunch of weird old things that even at that point weren't cool like you could do that menu now and it would be cool but back in the late 90s it was just like this we're doing old people food (laughs) you know (laughs) but i didn't know because i hadn't done that stuff before so it was all
0: new stuff to me yeah that's a great that's a great place to or a great thing to learn actually i mean said, they're all, they're all classics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Were you working there while you were going to school? You said, yeah, that one, I
1: definitely was working there too much. Right. And it led to me dropping out of college because at one point, you know, I went back to full time over the summer while I was working there and the chef came up to me one day as we were getting ready to go back to school. And he was like, I will give you, and I forget what the raise was, but he's like, I'll give you this raise if you stay on full time. And I, I went to school for one more semester and then I took him up on it so i okay. i dropped out of college in the
0: after the first semester of my junior year to to do that full time did you regret that were you sort of leaning more towards a school or, or 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 kitchens at that at that point again
1: it's that tactile nature it's that like instant gratification of making something at oh, that right. point i was really frustrated with how much money i was spending to go to school i didn't see that being like I didn't see that working toward a future that I that I dug in my head. And at mm-hmm. the same time, it was just a sort of a watershed moment for me where I was like, wait a minute, this guy who runs this kitchen thinks that I should be a full-time employee and he wants to, to pay me more to be able to do that. So why yeah. am I wasting my time doing all this education stuff? And again, like I loved being in college and I loved learning. My parents are nerds. Like I was raised by nerds. So that's just how okay. I am as well. But like that that offer that he made was awesome what was that kitchen like but what was that crew and
0: and and the environment in there
1: man those were the craziest of the crazies so we had we had this one lady named rosie who was our am prep lady and then three four days a week she would do pantry in the evenings um our sous chef was this great big ex-rugby player named scooter same was scott everybody called him scooter um the two saute guys were a fellow named mouse and another guy named Rob, who we stole from the front of the house. He had been a cook. He'd been a server back and forth. We stole him back. And then we had another guy named Rob who was on like work release from some sort of a nonviolent, uh, jail term. And then he ended up breaking in one night and stealing a bunch of money out of the safe. And that was a whole oh, thing. Shit. Like that place was never boring. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you sort of uh, fit in with those people or was it, was it more of like a, like, you know, get the work done and get, get, go home. Well, I was the comedian
1: of that group. So I was the one who was always there with a one liner. I was there who always like, I'm that guy who knows a guy. So we would get ready to do a thing outside of work. We'd have a party. I would know the guy who had the booze. We would um, begin it where we're going to go tubing or something. I know the guy who's got the van, that sort of thing. So that's how I fit into yeah. that group. Whereas yeah. somehow Rob always had money. Uh, Rosie was never down to do anything, but if we did need a place to party, we could use her house, right? Like it was, it honestly That's wouldn't really make nice. a bad TV show with that yeah. that particular <laughs> group of people yeah. mouse was in a band. So we'd always get free ride to his shows, you know, things like that.
0: That sounds like a pretty cool time for an 18 year old, you know?
1: Yeah. And of course I dropped out of college to hang out with those people. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you
0: know. But how long do you uh, stay at that place?
1: Yeah. I mean, all told I was there for two, two years and change. You know, Um, and then we so we had a sous chef leave and we had a new one hire in and he poached me because he was only there temporarily. And he was going back to this private club that he operated on an island north of Detroit. So when that reopened, he
0: poached me to go to there. Wow. So you just ended up moving to Detroit after that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What was what was Detroit in the 90s? Like my dad's from Detroit, but it was like it was pretty much on the downslope. You know,
1: right? we were. Yeah, we were insulated from it. We were allowed to live on the club grounds. So it was just like kind of like working at a hotel. I mean, if you've been to Detroit today, it is still it's really sort of schizophrenic. Where like you cross one, you cross, you go across a crosswalk and you've come from just like all Starbucks and stuff like that. And then there's buildings that are just like on fire. You know, it's Jeez. Detroit's a really weird town. Wow. But we were we were living on the club grounds. It was kind of like working and living at a weird uh, exclusive hotel. And I did that okay. for one summer and then I went to culinary school.
0: Oh, why did you uh, why did you choose to go to culinary school after after being in so many kitchens? Well, that was so the the fellow who poached me,
1: Tim, uh, that was his deal with me because he had the opportunity every year to as a uh, alumni of the New England Culinary Institute, he could get one person a, a scholarship. And so he oh, told really me nice. that that he would send me to culinary school and get me 5 grand off the top and I said sweet. And I hadn't really thought about going back to school and getting back in debt,
0: but it made more sense than finishing college for something I didn't want to do. What was culinary school priced at back then? Was it pretty was it like it is now like 30 to 40,000? Yeah. Yeah. I think is, mine ended wow. up
1: being about 38. I paid it off, so here's the thing. Wow. I graduated in 2001. I paid it off in 2021. I paid my student loans off last year. No way. Yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> took for fucking Jeez. ever. Oh my God, man. That's that's insane. Did you learn anything there that you felt like was necessary? Or do you think you could have just gotten the same education at like just going from restaurant to restaurant? Uh,
1: you know, I loved culinary school, but again, that's me being a nerd. And my thing always was like, what I learned in culinary school was technique because, you know, like you work at a place and you learn how to make their wild mushroom risotto, but I got to culinary school, and now I understand why risotto is put together the way it is. I understand how sauces work, and that's the thing. Like, if you break a sauce, I know like three different ways to fix it because I went to culinary school, right? And so that that was the benefit for me. Suck that it costs so much, but you know,
0: yeah, that's that's a really good point. I don't know. I think I think some of that stuff should be included in uh, just regular education. You know, yeah, <laughs> like oh yeah, yeah, learning yeah. how to just cook in general is would be. Uh, beneficial to everybody, you know?
1: Yeah, when, when public school got rid of like shop class and home ec and all of that, like everybody forgot how to cook
0: yeah now they just learn on tiktok and instagram it's it's terrible
1: (laughs) oh man so many of those things you look at them from like our perspective and i just want to i just want to reach through my phone and yell don't do that that you're going to hurt yourself
0: yeah yeah they're all terrible they're going to cut off their fingers or they're they're just undercooking or overcooking everything yeah it's it's a nightmare but it's it's fun to watch and yell at you know (laughs) Well,
1: um, right. Like I, I can't watch cooking shows for the most part because I get like my father-in-law gets when he watches football. Like I just get really angry and I'm like yelling at the TV and <laughs> that's not cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do the same thing, but I kind of, I kind of enjoy it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, when you got out of culinary school, did you, did you find that, that, uh, that experience made you a better cook or, or changed the way that you, you cooked at all?
1: I was less nervous about going into new kitchens. I guess that's the really big takeaway for me from culinary school. Like having just a a base education, I could Mm -hmm. walk into a place and if they asked me a question, like those gotcha questions, like if they're like, what's the five mother sauces? I, I had the answers to those, but it was also like... I recommend this to anybody who's thinking about culinary school, which is work in the industry for a while first, because you don't want to spend that money yeah. and then find out that you can't hang in a kitchen. Right. And so for I, sure. yeah, of course it's my experience. So I feel like I did it the right way, but working in kitchens for like eight years, going to culinary school and then coming out of it was the perfect sort of rhythm for me, you know, and, and right after culinary school, my wife was doing her grad school in Houston. So we moved down there and um, like my first job
0: was at the Four Seasons hotel. I immediately just like went top shelf and it was great. So you went straight to, into hotels. What, um, what was, what was, what was that like? What were those kitchens like? Cause I've only, I've only actually like passed through like as doing caterings or things like that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a massive, like almost unmanageable (laughs) beast. You know what I mean? Like, um, were you, were you just on the line or were you a, a sous chef or chef or anything like that?
1: So I started off just on the hotline and then I would pick up shifts in catering and pick up shifts in garmage and I did a little bit in pastries, but they didn't like me, which is fine because I didn't really like pastries, but I wanted to, I was that guy, like a shift would come up and I would just grab it because I was still kind of in school mode, you know, and I wanted to learn and I wanted to see as much as I could in my career. I've gone back and forth between like freestanding what I would say fun stuff and sort of, uh, secure, big money, like hotels, schools, um, private clubs, things like that, because you make a bunch of money doing work that you're like, ah, this isn't my favorite, but it's really secure. I've got benefits, all that kind of stuff. And you get sick of that. And you're like, I'm going to go work at this crazy little place owned by, you know, a couple and, and do food that's more fun. And I'm going to make, you know, $12 an hour, <laughs> you know, so I've yeah. gone back and forth like that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what was that? What was that place like? The, the hotel?
1: I mean, it's it's the brigade system. You have to really believe in it. So like the executive chef of that place did not know what we were all doing all the time. But like the chef de cuisine or the chef de partie did. So we really had to keep an eye on that guy because he was the one watching us. Same thing in, in banquets. There were two banquet sous chefs. One of them did morning stuff. One of them did evening stuff. So they split that up. And so as long as all of those pieces were working, everything was fine. Um, One of those roles would come up with that person being sick or something, and then everything would just fall apart because all of those levels of management were kind of insular. Like the the catering guys didn't know what was going on on the line ever. And so if they needed help from us or if they needed to help us, they were more in the way than anything else.
0: Oh man. Yeah. What what was the service like there? Was it um cuz cuz most hotels it's either it's you have like I could I guess you said like the banquet crew but then there's also yeah. like breakfast or like um what's it called room service. Room so what service was that service yeah. like. Yeah. We
1: only had one line to do what was called the cafe, which was like the more casual lunch and dinner spot, room service and the fine dining. So all of the stations were operating three menus all the time and hmm. Yeah, exactly. Once once we got into it, because it was like a nine station line. There were a ton of people on that line. Once you figured out exactly what your little narrow part of it was, it was not a big deal. But just looking at it from this perspective from years later, huge operation. And you could be yeah. making anything off of three different menus at any given time because the other thing is that like room service had their menus where it's like breakfast menu, you know, offered from such and such time to such and such time. But it would be eleven o'clock at night and somebody would order eggs Benedict and we would just have to make it. And you're like I don't have hollandaise right now, I have to start this from scratch. <laughs> you
0: to, so you'd have to like make whip up some hollandaise real quick. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's where the the culinary school comes in. You could probably whip up hollandaise. Couple it, seconds.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't my station, but I was that guy that everybody on the line was like, God, ah, Ben can make a Hollandaise. I'm like, all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, however, like because of the size of that crew, that was not a crew that went out and party together. Everybody split. Yeah. And that's what you find in hotels and stuff. Everybody has a yeah. life,
0: you know? Yeah. It seems like, it seems like, yeah, they're doing their own thing. Whereas, like, a small knit kitchen, it's like everybody's kind of hanging out because you're there all the time anyway. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and they're the only uh, people, you know, <laughs> because they're the only ones yes. who have your same lifestyle schedule yeah, exactly. and all
0: that. You're all just hanging out together. But did you did you enjoy it there? Or was that kind of like a, a thing to uh, kind of knock off some of your debt? <laughs> it was definitely that. Like, I liked the security. I liked the regularity,
1: the hours. And I also liked that, like it's kind of like a mall right within that one kitchen I could do or I could learn anything I wanted to. Right. So it's like going to the mall and you can buy shoes and you can buy lunch and you can do all this other stuff. So if I wanted to, like I said, if I wanted to go into Garmage one day and just learn how to prep uh, blue crabs, right? Like I could just do that. And that was fine. As long as I got all my other work done. So that was really great. Uh, But after a while, yeah, I was just making burgers and like chicken strips for the room service menu. 90% of the time. And I was, I was making a lot of money. My healthcare was awesome, but at the same time I was just bored after a while.
0: Yeah. Is that what made you leave that kitchen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Almost every move that I've made, or at least early in my career like that is because I got bored. I got to a point where I was like, yep, now I'm just doing a job. And early on, that's not what I wanted.
0: Yeah. What, what, uh, what place to go to next? Uh,
1: After that, I went to a, uh, Creole place called Brennan's. They've got locations okay. in New Orleans and Vegas and Houston.
0: Okay. So it's, so it's like a, a little more of like a chain restaurant or
1: well, no Brennan's. So Brennan's is the same group that has commander's palace. It's uh fine dining Creole. We were, okay. it was, it was crazy that place. Cause I didn't, I knew I took that job and it was probably the first job I'd had in a while that actually kind of scared me. Cause I knew nothing about Creole food, but like they were, we were making our own tasso ham. We had like five different sizes of shrimp on the menu, depending on the dish. Everything was scratch. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Wow. wow! Is that place still around? Is that still a? I think a so. They had a fire a couple of years ago, but I, I, still. I mean, you know how it is. I don't know anybody that works at that place anymore. Yeah. What was? Were, were you just another uh, line
0: cook there as well?
1: Yeah, I worked the grill station um, in that kitchen. Grill also ran the wheel in the back, so I was calling tickets to uh, saute one, saute two, and the fish station, and then. Cold and garmage and
0: hot apps, they took care of themselves. I guess what was the menu like? Because Creole to me is like a lot of fish, yeah. lot of fried food, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's.
1: I was there. I was very lucky. I was there at the same time that there's a sous chef whose name is Chris Shepard. And that's a name you might know because he runs a company called Underbelly Hospitality in Houston and also Southern Smoke. Name, yeah. yeah. He has a, it's a a hospitality based uh, nonprofit called Southern Smoke that raises money for stuff. Chris Shepard is one of the greatest living chefs in this country right now, who for some reason nobody's talking about. I don't know why. But that dude would just come in one day with an idea and we would be like, he would say, we're getting rid of the crab cake. Like, okay. So then we made a brand new crab cake where he was getting crab shells in. We were steeping them in oil. So we're making crab oil out of that. We were making an ioli out of that crab oil. And then the crab cake became this tea on kind of a thing with a puree of uh, fresh corn and fresh corn in it to like bind the crab. And then we also were like scraping the outside of the corn cobs and making a corn stock. And it was and, and he would like this whole idea would just be in his head when he walked in the door in the morning and then he would just throw it at us and we'd have to figure out how the fuck to do it. So the the menu was like you said Oyster po' boys, turtle soup. Um, we had a big double cut veal chop. We had a lot of like redfish and pompano and uh, shrimp and this crab cake kind of a thing. But then Chris would order, you know, three cases of field peas and just give one case to each station and say, "You have to do a field pea special today." I'm like, okay, we're doing field peas. That's so he kept all of us interested by just bringing crazy shit in all the time.
0: That sounds like an incredible kitchen. Yeah. That place working was off, yeah. off the fly. Yeah. That's we amazing. had one
1: dish, our our market fish every day would it would, you know how it is, you it changed every two or three days, but it was always served on these big fat slices of heirloom tomatoes with a microgreen salad with sugar cane vinaigrette. And then it was whatever the fish was. And sometimes we would pecan crust it or we would do like an au poivre kind of a thing, but it was always that exact same plating. And so it was up to us to figure out how the fish would best go with that plating based on how we were going to cook it. Sometimes it was grilled, sometimes it was broiled. And man, we had a lot of fun with that.
0: That's cool. So you, it sounds like you, you had uh, some say in at least some of the creativity behind the dishes. Yeah. 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 So he, so he had, he had a lot of trust in you guys to kind of execute his vision.
1: Yes. And I always say that I learned my management style because I'm in management now. Uh, by watching people be terrible and then not doing what they do right, yeah. except for Chris Shepard, that dude knew how to galvanize a crew, get them to work together, get them to be like invested in what they were doing. We all felt like it, the restaurant was ours, you know, and it all came from him. Dude was amazing.
0: I'll have to I'll have to look him up.
1: Yeah, and Southern Smoke, they it's a it's a barbecue based um, nonprofit where they have events and they raise money. And so when um, COVID happened, they ended up raising a ton of money for out of work line cooks. And they were just giving out, giving out money.
0: That's, that's fantastic.
1: How long did you stay there? I was only there for about a year and a half. It was, it was this intense experience that was really, really sort of condensed. Yeah, it
0: sounds, it sounds really intense.
1: Yeah. If there, if there was a restaurant that I wanted to go back to work at, like right now, it would be that restaurant, but it would be that restaurant from like 2002. (laughs) You know, again, I don't even know if they're still around right now.
0: Yeah. Well then if it was, if it was that great, why did you, uh, why did you end up leaving?
1: Again, it was a money thing. So that place was okay. all of the creativity, all of the camaraderie, all of just like the fun that I was having was counterbalanced by the fact that I took like a $4 an hour pay cut to leave the hotel and go oh. to that place. And Jeez. my wife and I were just, yeah, it was, it was a, a big deal, but it was that place you had to like want to work at. And it did open a lot of Man. doors for me uh, having them on my resume. So it was that kind of thing. Yeah. But my wife and I, she was coming up at the end of her internship and we were going to be moving back to uh, her, her grad school. And so we were going to be moving back to Michigan. We were trying to get married. So we needed, we needed to be making more money.
0: So where did you go from there?
1: My next spot, there's a high-end grocery store in that area called Central Market. And I went and worked there as a butcher for about six or eight months before we moved back to Michigan. And again, I was making far more money as a butcher working in the cold, you know, in Houston um, than I was at Brennan's, which was a bummer. But at the same time, it was Cutting fish—that's all it was, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I mean that's also a good thing to learn. Um, yeah, yeah, for people that don't know, Central Market is uh, like the. Whole Foods of H E B, which is the southern yeah. like grocery store, but that's it's a great it's a great place. I love that place way more than <sighs> uh, uh, Whole Whole Foods.
1: Yeah, I miss I miss that Central Market job. Now, when I was there, and I was just like, I just had to keep telling myself, I'm just making my money. I'm coming in. I was doing three yeah. days on the fish side, two days on the meat side, and I I didn't hate it, but I was just like, after the first couple of times, I cut the skin off a of salmon. I was like, all right, I guess I know how to do this now, you know. <laughs> but I did it for about eight months, and I made a ton of money, and then we moved. So it, that part worked out.
0: Yeah. You said you would move back up to uh, Kalamazoo?
1: No, we moved to Traverse City because we were, I was going to oh, call nice. in like every okay. favor I had and we were going to get married. So the nicer Italian place that I worked at when I was a kid, they were part of a restaurant group. And so I huh. hired in to work at their fine dining place on the old Mission Peninsula in Traverse City.
0: Okay. Where's, where's that located? Is that building still there?
1: Yes. So that building is still there. Um, It was called Bowers Harbor Inn um, and now it's something else. I forget what it is now, but uh, again, this would have been 2003. So long enough ago in restaurant
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like things have changed pretty fast up there too, surprisingly. Yeah. 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 And uh, were you the chef there or just another? So I was the, I was
1: the sous chef of the, uh, yeah, I was the sous chef (laughs) of the, fine dining portion of it. Cause we had in the okay. same building, a oh, nice. like a, a ribs and burgers and fried fish family kind of place downstairs. And then upstairs mm-hmm. there was a fine dining place. I was sous chef, but I kind of wasn't sous chef. You know, the guy who hired me had gone to my culinary school. He and I got along really, really well. And I was, I was wage and I didn't really have any management responsibilities or anything, but he called me sous chef and he let me do some orders and stuff. So I guess I was, and I got to help him put mm-hmm. the menu together. So
0: there was that that's cool did you get to use any of the stuff you learned at your last place there i would put yeah yeah Yeah. i would put
1: creole stuff on the menu sometimes for the most part it would scare tourists and so i would have to be (laughs) really careful not to prep out too many specials you know but like oh yeah again old school like late 90s early aughts traverse city
0: (laughs) michigan's about 10 years behind the rest of the country all the time anyway you know oh yeah for sure for sure, yeah. For better or worse, yeah. When I when I lived there, it was two thousand. I want to say like 2014, 15, somewhere around there. And and we were putting fish sauce on stuff in the menu, and people were weirded out by that. They're like, "What the hell's fish sauce?" You know. <laughs> now it's like fish, fish sauce is everywhere. You know. Yeah. So, where where were you working? Um, I worked for. Have you heard of heard of tr- Harvest? Simon I- Joseph. He had a place called Harvest. That was on Front Street. Um, and then he also had a, a food truck called Roaming Harvest, okay. which was one of the f- first food trucks in Travis City. Um, and then he had a little grocery store um, behind Front Street. It was in this weird little alley hmm. back there. And then he also the, the ramen place. I didn't work there. Oh, okay. He had Gaijin yeah. Ramen. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I worked for him when he built out his first restaurant. Gotcha. Me and uh, and my friend who was from Michigan, we kind of like, uh, I think I worked lunch and he worked um, dinner and then we would, you know, get together on, on brunch items and stuff like that. And me and him came from Austin. So we were trying to, you know, do some weird stuff and all the stuff, (laughs) all key, you know, trying to put some Asian flair on everything. But uh, people were, were really weirded out by it sometimes, you know?
1: yeah i mean being a tourist town you got to be careful with that stuff because you just never know where people are coming from and you also don't know what they expect and so that's why places like cherry republic do so well because people are coming up there to get fudge and cherries and i walk into that place as somebody who was raised up there and i'm like what the fuck is all of this (laughs) but my kids love it because they don't know my kids were born and raised in chicago to them traverse city is kind of this like rural cherry place you know i guess it works
0: yeah. It's, it's nice to visit. I don't know if it's, it's a place to, place to live for me at least, but, um, yeah. but it's nice and quaint and very cool. The theater there is really cool. I love that. They still have that theater. Is that, yeah. Is that, yeah. uh, oh, oh, yeah. cool. Okay, cool. I, I love that place. So, uh, how long did you stay at that, that, um, I wouldn't call it a country club. Was it, you said it was a hotel?
1: So it had been a, it had been a bed and breakfast at one point, and they kept the name Inn, so the Bowers Harbor Inn, oh, okay. um, even though they didn't they didn't rent rooms anymore. Um, I was there for a couple of years, and the idea was to work there after we got married. We got married in two thousand three, so work there until we had saved up enough money to move down to Chicago, which we did a couple of years later. Okay, why why Chicago? That's a good question. So Chicago is equidistant from my in-laws and from my family. So close enough to visit but nobody comes to visit without calling first, you know? We don't get <laughs> yeah. drop-ins. And yeah. my wife's a journalist. So Chicago's a great restaurant town, Chicago's a great journalism town, and so it just seemed yeah. to work for for both of us.
0: Yeah. Where where did you end up working there? There's so many fantastic places yeah. in Chicago. It's insane.
1: A guy I went to culinary school with called me when he knew that I was and this is before social media even, you know. He he knew that I was tr- looking to get out of my hometown and he had just moved to Chicago as well. And he was the chef de cuisine at a restaurant called bin 36, which is a wine forward uh, restaurant group. They had three or four restaurants at that time in and around Chicago. And he had left the one downtown and gone to one that was up in the near Northern suburbs and he needed a sous chef. So he asked me, he was like, jobs yours if you want it. And so my wife and I were going back and forth about whether or not we were going to move to Chicago. And I was like, if we do, I have a job like right now. And so that, that made the decision for us. And this time I was, I was really sous chef, which was nice. (laughs) Was it, uh, what was the, what was the menu like there? So we, we called ourselves regional new American, which gave us the ability to just do whatever the hell we wanted. Right. But it was, we Mm -hmm. had a wood-fired pizza oven. We did a lot of traffic in risotto. We had a pretty broad steak menu and then we would always do fish specials. So we'd be getting scallops in, we would be doing monkfish and, And that sort of thing. That's where I leaned on my Creole pretty hard because that was something that had had never been done up there. And because our menu was kind of weird anyway, I could sneak stuff in and stuff would move.
0: That's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a pretty heavy uh, hand in the menu as well. After you know the the menu was was uh, seasonally rotated,
1: so I had about three months to get my feet under me, and then yeah, I, it was about half Jason's about half mine.
0: Do you remember any uh, some of the some of your favorite dishes back then? Boy, it's a long time ago.
1: Um, I do the probably the one that I remember the most is one that Jason put together for me. Uh, we had a back when uh, flat iron steaks, nobody knew what they were, and you could get them for like two dollars and twenty cents a pound. We would we were doing a grilled flat iron where we were doing um, like a, a deep fried, like a crispy fingerling potato that was being tossed with confit tomatoes and blue cheese and, you know, scallions. And then the cheese would kind of melt on the potatoes a little bit. And then we would slice the steak and put it over it on some wilted spinach and it was done. And it was just this beautiful, perfect, like. This was all of the flavor components from a burger, except as this beautiful steak dish that we were getting like twenty six dollars for, and that's the kind of fun this guy had with food. He's like, you know what I love? I love a blue cheese burger. I'm gonna make that out of a steak. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so, so that same flavor profile, but with with steak. Yeah, I like bingo. That. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that kind of stuff. That's really cool. How did that? How did that restaurant do? Because Chicago is such a broad food scene. I I, I can't imagine trying to cut into that. That scene
1: the the restaurant did fine where that restaurant was located because it was a little ways north of chicago there was nothing else like it so it was great and it did really well while it was while it was in operation up there um the one that was downtown you're right you were saying that chicago's got a really broad food scene and it's tough to compete they ended up putting in a huge cheese bar in the uh the one downtown which was my favorite thing about it they had a, a full time dude What's who was that? just he would curate the cheeses and you would go in and you would just say to him, here's what I'm feeling like tonight. And he would throw it on a plate of five or six different cheeses for you. That oh, was amazing. It was the best that place. So I would leave because that the, the place I worked was in Lincolnshire, but I lived in Logan Square. So I would drive 45 minutes back home, shower and still be able to get down to the cheese bar one because they were open super late just walk in and eat cheese for a couple hours
0: <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah a little discount too and yeah that sounds amazing
1: yeah yeah how long did you end up staying there I was at that place for a couple of years as well. Um Jason yeah. and I were going to open a restaurant in Milwaukee, which is where he's from. But in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. at that point, banks were still treating everybody like it was the 1950s. We couldn't get anybody to talk to us. A couple of young guys who wanted mm-hmm. to open a restaurant, right? So he had already put in his notice and left because he was up there scouting for a location and all this kind of stuff. And the chef that they hired to replace him, they didn't even offer me the job, which I don't really know why that happened, but the guy they yeah. got to replace him was awful and so i quit within about a month
0: after jason left did you did you take that pretty hard when they didn't they didn't ask you to be the chef yeah i got i got my feelings hurt a little bit by that yeah. you know like it didn't even yeah.
1: come up and then they also wanted me to be in on the interviews for the new chef and i was like this is even worse like, like
0: come on you're, not, you're gonna be there to hire your new boss that's right. crazy <laughs> yeah <it's> like <laughs> that's insane uh, did you end up uh opening that spot in milwaukee
1: Nah, the whole thing fell through. Um, Jason ended up doing great. He took over a chef position at a a fine. I didn't even realize there were fine dining places in Milwaukee, but he ended up doing that. And I ended up going, I I found a place that was like five minutes away from my apartment. It was this uh, really, really small mom and pop. uh, Fine dining is the wrong word for it. I don't know. Like just whatever, just below fine dining is. Uh, little tiny place where it was like the two owners yeah. and myself and one prep cook. And that was the entire staff tiny place. We probably had eight tables.
0: Wow. So I love those that seven was, places. What, what was the food like there?
1: It, it was, again, it was whatever they wanted to do. So we had a venison oh. strap loin. We had uh, this appetizer mix. So we had like this uh 12 item appetizer menu that you could order any four of them. And we had these little square mm-hmm. plates. And so you would get four where we made, yeah two or three different risotto appetizers. And we made our own spring rolls and egg rolls. And we had little, uh, bow, but it wasn't really an Asian place. Cause we also had like a duck breast and we had this, uh, we would roast whole beets and then peel them and cut them in half and scoop them out and fill them with goat cheese and put them back together and then wait a couple of days so that the goat cheese would like absorb the beet flavor and then cut that open. And that was, uh, one of our salads. So it was, uh, that place was a lot of fun too, but real bootstrappy
0: real, like,
1: can we all get paid this week or not? <laughs> you know. Oh
0: shit. Yeah. Yeah, so are you are you like uh I can't imagine the prep at that place must have been insane cuz it's oh, yeah. you, like you and two cooks. It's just you're spending most of your time just prepping, maybe prepping into service, that kind of thing.
1: Oh yeah. In, into and throughout, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, let's uh, can we go back to the other place? What was the, what was the the crew like there? Oh, at the, at the wine bar? Yeah. Mhm.
1: That one was probably the most stereotypically urban kitchen that I've ever worked in. Everybody in the place, except for me and one other guy on the in in the back of the house, was uh, Latino or Black, and mm-hmm. so it was it was myself and this this great big dude named Brett, and then everybody else was, you know, we had Jorge and Rogelio and Juan, and then. I don't remember the name of our AM prep lady at that place, but she was from Guatemala. And so it was that perfect, like you need to speak three different versions of Spanish to be able to hang out yeah. here. And you also need to be able to listen to parliament funkadelic and-, and that sort of thing. And it was great. Like that. so much of that has been part of my education too. Like the, the industry while you're working in it has so very little racism. Cause it really is about like, just get the job done right? It yeah, doesn't course, really matter yeah. who you are. Hiring, on the other hand, that's a lot trickier, and there's a lot more hurdles for folks who don't look like me, you know? Uh, but that yeah. was that kitchen where it was like, wow, I really need to polish up my Spanish because I know these guys are all talking about me. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, and I did, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I only knew one guy from Chicago, but it's, um, he made it seem very much like Chicago was was like very intense, very um, very focused on like your capabilities, if you can't wor- work fast enough, if you can't do it in a few amount of moves, then then you're not good enough. Was that kind oh, of yeah. the, the vibe there? Really? Yeah. And it would t- take a lot of pride in, in in being the fastest, the best, that kind of thing.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's also yeah. uh, like Chicago's the biggest little town or the littlest big town. I'm not sure which one, but like the whole idea of you don't want to burn any bridges is even more important in Chicago because everybody knows everybody here. It's not Mm. like New York where like you're going to sneaky steal somebody else's, uh, saucier to come to your restaurant. It's like when you leave a place, you need to stay on good terms with the chef because in two or three more moves, you're going to be working for that chef again at another restaurant because everybody just kind of swirls around. And I mean, I'm seeing it right now. I'm hiring for my joint right now. And I got a a, a resume and an application for from somebody that I worked with years ago. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not hiring that guy. (laughs) I remember that guy, you know, like it comes back around. So it really is. It's very results based. It's very, you know, dig in, get the job done. And if you can't or won't, like people remember people really remember
0: yeah the restaurant scene is very um very merit-based in that way like people yeah. people holding their head they know what you did and, and it's not really well documented but it's you know people yeah. talk and it goes around you know what i mean so it's, it's very I, like me. i don't want to derail this too much but like i've had to go back and make sincere apologies to a
1: lot of people i uh used to drink a lot like a whole lot um i've been sober now for about nine years and uh I've had to go back and find people and be like, okay, so I understand everybody in Chicago knows everybody. I just want you to know I'm sorry, because I I was not the greatest dude for a long time. And it's the industry. It's it's how it's how we behave. It's how we're trained, you know, because like Um, you said, who can do the job the best, who can be the quickest, who can drink the most, who can drink the fastest? You know, that's all part of that. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's all it's all shots after work, and you know, uh, yeah. we're getting we're getting fucked up tonight. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's the pirate ship mentality. You know, we're all survivors. <laughs> you yeah, know? I guess if, if we're on this right now, when did your drinking kind of take take over? Because it sounds to me like you were you were really like a really hardworking dude. You're going from job to job. You're learning a lot. You're 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 dedicated. So, did did drinking kind of derail you in a sense, or was it just always something that would happen in the background?
1: uh i mean it only derailed me personally really like i bought a hundred percent into this notion of like what you were just saying work hard play hard right so it would be oh yeah bang out a 10 hour shift The server brings back shift beers and then you make that server their shift meal first and so that server brings you back shots as well right like playing that game and so i don't know how i managed to do it just thinking back on it now but i'd be out till three o'clock in the morning Still managed to get home, get showered, have enough food, get enough sleep and be back to work by one the next afternoon. And I did that for 15 years. I don't know how, but like it came to a head for me because unlike most of us in the industry, right? I managed to marry outside of the industry. I have a relatively stable marriage. I have two kids, right? And it came down to like my wife and family or the drinking. And I had to make that decision. And I, I got very, very lucky. Nothing terrible happened. It's not that story where it's like, well, I crashed my car into a school bus. You know, it's none of that kind of things. It was just like, yeah, something had to change,
0: you know? Yeah. Were you, were you just tired of like this constant, like, like going into work and well, I don't even know how you, how you did that. If you're like hung over all every single t- a day, like day in and day out and you're, you're and you're running the kitchen or have some yeah. say in, in the food. I can't, I can't even imagine.
1: Well, it's amazing what you get used to. Like once I got That's sober true. and I realized that I wasn't hung over all the time, I felt so good, but it was really just feeling normal. Right. Yeah. But I had just felt like shit for like
0: 15 years and I didn't realize it. Yeah. When did you actually make that switch and, and get sober?
1: So, I this is jumping way ahead, but currently I run the food service at a a private school here in Chicago. But previous to that, I ran the food service at a grad school in the south side of Chicago. And we were coming back into service, you know, for the school year. So this was the beginning of August that I went and did a um, like a live in catering gig for a family in southern Michigan where they were putting me up in a hotel for three days and they were at their vacation house with some friends of theirs. And I was doing all the food service and I just got blackout drunk one night and they called me out on it. They were like, look, oh wow. You, you were out of control. Nothing terrible happened. We are the only ones who saw it, but like, this is not what we signed up for. And um, they were really kind about it and they didn't have to be. And so then like, as soon as I got back to work, cause we were about to reopen for the school year, I just said, that's it. That's enough. And I worked there for about another two years, but it was too much of a struggle because I had been out drinking with all of the people who I worked with at that job. A bunch, you know, and so I had to quit. I had to leave that job to start as the sober guy at the new job because I I just couldn't I couldn't keep fighting against it in that crowd.
0: Yeah. Were they trying to get you to keep going out and stuff like that? You know, yep. it
1: started off as like, just come out and have some non-alcoholic beers and hang out with us. And I was like,
0: (laughs) I did it once. And I was like, I can't,
1: yeah, I can't just sit in a bar, man. But the other thing that I try to do, like that, I really, really try to do is not like, I'm not judgy. I'm not a downer. I'm not that guy because everybody has their struggle. Everybody has something they're going through. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. hold myself up as an example. I'm just like, that's a thing that I did. And this is a new way that I live now. Uh, And I try to help people out where I can, but, People will, when they first find out that I'm sober, they get
0: kind of standoffish and I'm like, no, 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 I don't care. You can do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't do those things. Well, the, the industry is so, so concentrated on drinking and partying. And, and so that's it, it's, it's, it's kind of strange when somebody comes in and says that they're, uh they don't want to do any of that stuff, you know. Yeah. Some people take it so personally. It's 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 strange. It's like it's still a job, guys, you know. It's yeah. still it's we're still all here to just work, you know. But yeah. I had like I said, I had totally bought into that culture. Yeah, of course. I was in the work hard play hard culture. Once you got out of that sort of cycle, did you find it kind of hard to shift because there is that sort of cycle where you you work a hard shift, you go out, you drink, you get up in the morning, you do it again, right? Mm-hmm. And for some cooks, myself included, it's hard for me to get off work and then turn off. I can't, I just can't do it. You know? So did you find that switch hard?
1: That was the other reason I had to leave that previous job. So the job I have now, I work from six in the morning until two, two thirty 30 in the afternoon. Um, and so I do have plenty of time before dinner and before I go to bed to unwind, but there yeah, I, I, I was not going to be able to leave a job where I was working into the evenings and then get home and be able to go to sleep at all without, you know, like for a minute I was trying sleeping pills, but then I thought I'm just going to, this is going to be the new booze. Right. And I can't, I can't just switch for a new thing, you know?
0: Yeah, that's true. So
1: it was easier to quit my job completely, which sounds ridiculous, but it was easier to completely (laughs) quit my job and get a new one.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I guess let's go back a little bit. Where um, the mom and pop place. What did you uh, head to after that?
1: So after that, I actually went to Sur La Table to teach cooking classes. I did that for about two and a half years and that was another money move. So I went from, you know, bin 36 where I was sous chef and I was making a bunch of money to this mom and pop place where I had all of this creative freedom and I had all this fun and whatever, but I wasn't making any money to Sur La Table where it was the first time I'd ever been on salary and I was making money and I had benefits and I was teaching these cooking classes. And it really like scratched that sort of nerd itch for me, because I could be teaching a knife skills class and then a cake decorating class and then a sushi class, you know, all on a three-day stretch. So yeah. it was a, a great opportunity for me to learn a bunch of stuff to then be able to teach to other people.
0: How did that how did that go? It was great. Yeah. Yeah. What was what was that kitchen like? Because I always just remember, I don't know how familiar you are with Bourdain, but I remember that he in I think it was in Kitchen Confidential or one of his other um, earlier books, he talked about having to teach Um, a class or do a demonstration. He said the kitchen was a nightmare. Like they had stuff from a year prior and nobody cleaned the fridge out and things like that. A hundred percent, (laughs) a hundred percent. So when I took
1: over, they were, they were changing their structure because what they had before was every uh, class had a different teacher right? And so what they wanted to do was hire in people like me, people who could run the program and also do most of the teaching. So it was that I opened up the spice cabinet and there were like six ground cumin's that were all open, right? (laughs) Open up the fridge. And it's like this milk expired, you know, during the Hoover administration, right? Like just like, but because everybody was buying everything for every class and they had no inventory system and all that. And so that was one of the first things I did was organize the kitchen. Now, physically the kitchen was gorgeous, right? They had like two ovens that were set into the wall. They had like the big, uh, the cameras and TVs over the, the prep space and all of this so that you could teach yeah. a demo class or whatever. So it was beautiful. And it was like being on stage all the time, which definitely played to my ego. You know, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> People coming to see me every day. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, it was a little bit of a slog. Like after a while, I was like, man, I don't want to teach four knife skills classes a month, but it was the most profitable one we did. So whatever. Yeah. And then we would also do bachelorette parties and birthday parties and we would do uh, corporate outings and stuff like that. And those got to be more fun because we could go off book. We could do sort of whatever menu the client wanted and and we got to do a lot more fun stuff.
0: That sounds pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Also, most of the stuff I have in my kitchen right now, even though this was 12 years ago, came from the discount that I got at that store while I worked there, man. It was steep. Like I was getting 40% off all clad. which is why I have way more pans and shit than I need right now. (laughs) But, but you know,
0: that stuff never wears out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'll just go and throw the tablets sometimes just look around and I can't afford anything in there. So (laughs) stock up while you can, you know, I I get it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was a windfall. Like every time we would get something returned to the store, um, the employees had a chance to just grab it because we couldn't resell that stuff. And so a lot of, like I have a panini, wow. I have an all clad nonstick panini press that goes on your stovetop, right? It's two piece that they don't even make anymore. They made it for a little while and people didn't like them and they would return them. And so I just took it. And so I have that with things like that, yeah. which is great.
0: That's awesome. Yes. Stock your kitchen up. You know, that's, that sounds fantastic. How did you end up getting that job? Did you just apply for that or did you know somebody?
1: Um, So I knew somebody that's when you asked what that kitchen was like, it was me. And then I would hire people in to do um, specialty classes. So if we had like high end pastries classes, or we had a specific ethnicity, I would bring other chefs in. And one of those chefs that I would use quite a bit, it was a friend of mine from earlier. And she was like, they're hiring a coordinator. You should apply for it. And I was like, okay, There were also like kitchen volunteers who would come in and they would clean up during class and they were able to like audit the class and then they would get a one time use uh, discount coupon or something like that for the stuff in the store. And I got to be pretty close with some of those folks as well. But that kitchen was really it was me. That was it. I was doing all the shopping. So that was like grocery store, Costco, that kind of stuff. We were not big enough to actually place orders through vendors. You know, I had to go with like a duffel bag to the
0: grocery store and buy a bunch of shit. but.
1: It was great. It was great for two and a half years.
0: Yeah. Why, why did you end up leaving that? Is there is the same thing, kind of just bored? Yeah.
1: Some things about the program changed. It got more corporate. It got more regimented. And at the same time, I felt like I wasn't doing real cooking. And that's when I made that swing. And my next stop
0: was I went back to a hotel. Yeah. What, what hotel was that? was that? You're still in Chicago at this point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was working at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel downtown. I hired in to be the... Um, lead cook in the garbage department and then I took over as sous chef when that sous chef left that department. Um
0: uh, let me ask you this cuz I've never really worked in a hotel but but you seem to have worked in both like kind of small joints and hotels and stuff like that. Do you find that there is is quite a difference between hotel staff and and sort of more uh, high-end uh kitchen type staff? Do you think that they're like different types of people?
1: Yeah, yeah, without question. Yeah. So One of the things that I I had to learn when I was at that hotel is that there were people who had worked there for like 18 years doing exactly the same thing. And I did not understand it. And the thing is, is I had to get to that point where I was like, oh, so for me, cooking is my whole life. Cooking is like the thing that I think about when I'm on my way home from the job. I love cooking for my family. It's the thing that I do to impress people. And for some people. Mm -hmm. It's just their job. And they have a whole life outside of that. And that was a breed of person I had never really encountered before because working in small mom and pop and standalone restaurants, you only get those people like us, the crazy ones who all we do is read cooking magazines and cookbooks. And like, no joke, I'm thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner on my way home from my cooking job. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) I never stopped doing that. And for some people, it's not that they're doing a bad job. They're punching a clock. They have a prep list they need to knock out. They do it. They clock out and they go home. And I, I, I to a certain degree, I'm a little jealous of that. Like it would be nice to be able to punch out.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, then I wouldn't be me, you know? So. Yeah. Like you, I don't can't comprehend that because I'm always just the, I always take pay cuts to learn something more or. Yeah you know, go to a restaurant where I respect the chef and the food and things like that. So, I mean, I respect it. They, they gotta, you know, do what they gotta do, but I just, it's a different mindset. for Sure.
1: And it's definitely not everybody at the hotel, but it's the, the, that's the only way you can make a hotel run is if most of your workforce has been in place for a long time, you don't have to worry about them. And Mm -hmm. the people who change are kind of like the froth at the top, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, I was one of those. I was only at that hotel for about a year and a half. Uh it was also unionized and it was really contentious and the conflict between the union and the management was really was just daily. It was just you know, you walk into a kitchen and you can kind of feel if it's a good kitchen or a bad oh, kitchen. Yeah. That one changed well, yeah. while I was there
0: and became a bad kitchen. Ugh. So were you required to be part of the union? Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? did you have to pay dues and that kind of thing? Came right out of my paycheck.
1: Yeah. It Jeez. was it was interesting. For the longest time I was kind of anti-union, but it's mm-hmm. not it turns out unions are okay. The union I belonged to at that hotel was awful. And it, they did great work for the employees. It's just that the people who were running that union were terrible and everything was, you know, you have to grieve this. That's not your job. You can't stay late. All these kind of things. And I'm just like, I'm just here to do, I'm just here to work. Why are you not letting me work? You know? And so we didn't Uh really
0: mesh. So they were telling you that, like, say you were staying late to, you know, learn something new. They'd be like, you're not supposed to be doing this. This is not your job. That kind of thing. Yeah. Like exactly the opposite. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. But that's part of what makes a great cook is staying, do things that are outside of your purview and you're, you're learning and helping others, you know, that at a sacrifice to yourself. So that's, it's kind of bizarre that that was, were they, was it a union? Do you know that was started by workers there or was it sort of brought in outside?
1: (sighs) It's, it's SEIU local one. It's the service workers union. So it's everybody from cooks to stewards to housekeeping and, and that sort of thing. It's huge organization.
0: I see. Wow. Maybe, I mean, do you know if there are unions that are just focused on food service workers? That I don't know. That would be really interesting. I don't know that you could yeah. get us to all agree on stuff. You know, <laughs> no,
1: we'd definitely. just fight the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> of course.
0: And we'd have fun doing it. Yeah. It'd be, yeah. It's be, it's, it'd be insanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, where did you go from there? because you uh, you said that was a hotel? Did you go to a more uh, a smaller joint after that or another hotel?
1: Yeah, so when I left there, I had was still in contact with the folks who ran the small place that I worked at after the uh, wine bar, right? So they were opening up a high end, super fancy burger place because it was right at the very beginning of the like big burger, crazy shit on top of burgers craze. And they didn't realize it. They didn't know that was going to happen. They were just like, whatever people love burgers. We're going to open up a fancy burger place. And then all of these other ones opened up, but they were like six months ahead. And so I hired in a sous chef and that's probably when my drinking got the worst because we were 45 minute wait every night. We were Jesus. talk of the town. We were the rock stars. The kitchen was just nuts. We were playing, constantly playing music. And we were also cutting our own fries, pounding out our own hamburgers. We were making like uh fig jam with, um, uh, like a stout beer cooked into it to go on top of a burger that had goat cheese and fried onions on it. Just like crazy stuff. And we were, it, it was some of the best cooking I've ever done in my life. And just some of the worst personal time I've ever spent as far as like
0: outside of work. Oh, geez. But how, how, how bad did it, did it get? Were you just like drinking on the line? Were you like going out after work or
1: all of the above? So we were yeah. making yeah. for the bar because it was also like, that whole sense of what we were doing in the kitchen was also in the front of the house too. So craft beer, cocktails, house-made um, infused vodkas and stuff. And we discovered, and I've taken years off of my life with this, but we discovered that when we would strain out the raspberries from the raspberry vodka, if you took those raspberries and mixed them with a little bit of sugar and just ate them on the line, they were still full of vodka and you didn't really notice until all of a sudden it's like seven oh, yeah. o'clock and you're like, I'm fucking oh. hammered. Holy oh, shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, Oh my God. It's that it's that top down culture, and I've had to reach out to a number of people who worked with me during that time. I was in charge of that, and I was the one setting the pace for, like, oh, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Let's start the day with vodka, Red Bull, you know. And oh, shit. I, I I did no. some serious damage to some people because of that. I'm sure. I, I believe
0: everyone survived, but I've I've had to go back and make my apologies for that too. Geez, so that must have been just talk about a pirate ship of a kitchen. Holy crap! Yeah. I mean, were you running the the pass, and you're just like uh, sipping and, and, and expediting and stuff, or were you also working station at that point?
1: So it depended on the day on the weekends, I'd be working just the pass, but on slower days, I would also be working the fryer because every, every plate got fries. You know, one of our Mm -hmm. most, uh, popular appetizers was a fried cheese curd, you know, that with house made truffle aioli and all this kind of stuff. And so I was either behind the line drinking and running the tickets and doing the fryer, or I was on the other side of the line. Doing the same
0: thing. Did the owners or investors have any idea that you were drinking or did they not care? They were just like, oh, he's doing a great job. You know, they didn't really pay attention to it.
1: They were all in on it. I mean, it was top down. So from the owners on down, it was just that my part of that was in the kitchen. But the owners, yeah, the owners were there with it was that kind of place where a tent top would come in and it's all the owners friends and they'd be there for seven hours. You know, it was that sort of a place. Wow. And it I hate to say it, but I look back on that really fondly. It was some of, like I said, some of the best food. And yeah. you know, you know the zone, right? Where like everything is chaos, everything is insane. You've got deliveries coming in, you've got orders coming in, you've got people yelling at you for stuff. And then you just hit that moment where everything gets quiet and your grill guy has all of his temps on point and your flat top guy is working. Oh, yeah. uh, wraps and salads and he's got all the buns toasted you need and the fryers going and everything gets real quiet and you're just churning food out. We hit that every day. We were in the zone every day for like a year and a half. It was amazing. That's awesome. yeah. And at the same time, we were
0: hammered and we were just the worst people. So I don't, I don't know how to reconcile that, you know? But, yeah, I, I don't know either. That kind of makes me think that like just uh, kind of like the worst version of ourselves as cooks is what makes it it works so well which is yeah. a horrible thing to say but <laughs> maybe you know the cliche that like you know comedians who get clean aren't funny maybe it's like <laughs> you know I, I don't think it's cor- correct but yeah maybe maybe to some degree you know um well you, and, and you and can it not really do that type of work if you're if you're clear-headed i don't know
1: Yeah. And I I, like you just said, it makes me wonder if I could do that again, because what I'm doing now, like my kitchen is all scratch, but it's the exact opposite of that. Right. I now run the food service for uh, nursery through eighth grade private school in Chicago. We're feeding about 700 people a day, breakfast and lunch, but it's controlled. I know exactly what the menu is. I mean, it's all scratch and my staff are all cooks, but it's none of that like frenzied nonsense, high intensity, like got to get into the zone. It's more like on site catering. Um, but it is a much more chill environment. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I could do that high intensity line work now.
0: Yeah. It's addictive for on some level, but it's also tiring, you know, Yeah. talk about taking a toll on your body. It's almost like, <laughs> um, amplified stress. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just, yeah. it's, it's crazy, but yeah, like I said, it can, it can kind of be addictive at some points, you know? Um,
1: I for sure miss it. You know, what I'm doing
0: yeah. now is great. I
1: love my job now. I am doing more managing than cooking, which is a bummer, but then I do a lot of cooking at home. My wife and I just bought a new yeah. house and the kitchen we have in this new house is like three times the size of the kitchen in the previous house. And so nice. I have all of these projects I'm working on. My wife just shakes her head and leaves me to it.
0: You know? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you got your own, your, own, your own kitchen, your own space. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what, what point did you start writing? Because I think you mentioned your, in your podcast that you've been, you've been writing for a long time, right?
1: Well, so yes, that's what I studied in, in college. I was studying English literature and education at the same time. And I, I did some writing back then. It's always been a thing that I've kind of just done. Um, mm-hmm. what I don't have now, and it's cause I have two kids and I've got the, you know, a job and all that. I just don't have big blocks of time to sit down and actually just do it. You know, I, yeah. you, you mentioned this in your first episode that it's much easier to sit down and have a conversation like this than to get people to write sure. stuff down because Oh you, yeah for me, at least I can't like start writing something and then go away and then come back and pick it up again. I've got to be in that, in that space. And so it's oh, yeah. uh it's something that's kind of dropped off, but I, I have, I have a drawer full of notebooks where I've just written down little bits and pieces and and things that I want to come back to later.
0: Yeah. Whenever, whenever later is going to be. Yeah. Is that, is it like a big project or are you just kind of just bits and pieces here and there? It's bits and pieces.
1: Um, I don't know that there's necessarily like. I, I want there to be a kitchen angle, like I want there to be a kitchen story to be told, but so many kitchen stories are being told right now that I don't know that I yeah. have anything new to say. You know, I started yeah. watching The Bear. Have
0: you seen this show? Oh, yeah. I, I gave it kind of a rundown of my second my second episode. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, going to have to hold like off. It? Well, okay. I watched
1: one episode and it is uh-huh. so fucking stressful to watch that for me <laughs> because yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking about like, if you watch that show and you look at that kitchen, that is the burger restaurant I worked at. Like it's not, but it oh, is. okay. You know, so like it's kind
0: of like a trigger for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm watching that show and I'm like, I don't know any of these actors. I don't know any of the people they're portraying, but I've mm-hmm. either worked with every single one of those archetypes or I have been those people at some point in my career. And I'm watching it and I'm getting like really nervous and upset. <laughs> and it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. But I was I, I watched one episode and I'm like, I need to take a break before I watch more of this show. It's got me on edge, <laughs>
0: you know. That's wild. Yeah. I've, I've heard, uh, I mean, I took a, I took like a three week break, but I watched, I've been just watched like three or four episodes and then I took a long break and I came back to it. Um, because everybody in in the kitchen I work in right now was talking about it. They're all like, have you finished? Have you finished it? Yeah. And a lot, everybody had the same experience. Like, uh, my chef couldn't finish it. He's like, well, it just yelling at each other the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. I, yeah. yeah.
1: That was my way in the way that they were yelling at each other. And then by the end of the shift in that episode, they're all just joking around again. I was like, they got it. They nailed it. That's exactly what it is. And yeah. I'm still super stressed out by this show.
0: <laughs> well, I'll be interested to see what you, uh, uh you think of the show because everybody's ta- everybody's talking about it, everybody from, you know, outside or inside the industry. So it's definitely yeah. hit a nerve. Finally, people are interested in what happens in, in kitchens, you know,
1: Yeah. And that's, again, that's, it comes back to my writing. Like, I don't know that I have something to say that would be different than that show that would be better than that show. And, and there are, there are other things as well. Like, um, the movie chef, aside from the fact that you can't get a food truck license, that'll carry you across state lines. Like that, that, that movie was pretty good. I liked the, what they were doing with food in that movie. And so people ask me about that kind of stuff. Probably my favorite moment in any food movie is, uh, did you ever see Spanglish? Adam Sandler movie.
0: It was was a long time ago. There's a, there's
1: a moment in that movie right after they get like this amazing, just like blowout review and whatever the, the paper is near them. He's sitting in the walk-in drinking Gewurztraminer and just eating handfuls of blue cheese and crying. And I was like, they nailed it. That is exactly (laughs) how you would respond. And I don't, I don't know that I have something to say that is as, as like crystalline
0: as that, but maybe I will eventually. Yeah. I, I like that you, uh, do you actually write out your podcast or you just kind of like, um, wing it? Some of them I do. Uh,
1: there's yeah. one episode called everybody hates you, which I was thinking about this when I was listening to your show, your first episode today that I do actually have that one written out. If you think that's the sort of thing you would like for the magazine, because I did, yeah. I wrote that one out and then I essentially performed it for the recording.
0: Yeah. I, that, that's what kind of drew me to your podcast. It was cause I, I kind of, I did the same thing for, an, a podcast I didn't, I didn't air because it just sounded fake, but the, the way that you did it, it seemed so natural and, and, mm. and I really enjoyed listening to it. Cause like, it was very, it sounded like somebody had a bar is like telling a story, you know, just like, yeah, shit talking, I'm like, Oh, this is great. Or just working the line and somebody starts telling you a story and you're like, all right, I'll listen to this for the next two hours. <laughs> you know? This is great. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I actually have audio. It's about two and a half hours that one of my line cooks at that burger place recorded and nobody knew he was recording and i have that on my computer and every so often i listen to it because it is sort of soothing in a weird way but you're right we are just i didn't realize it i guess non-stop bullshit talking just talking just to make noise and it's hilarious to me now to look back at me like 15 years uh how long ago was that 12 years ago and i still know exactly what we were talking about with all those guys
0: (laughs) yeah yeah. You remember those conversations? I mean, you spend so much time in, in kitchens with those people. So, you're just, yeah. so you remember everything about them. Um, when did you, when did you decide to start the podcast? Why, what, what was the decision behind that? What was it now? Seven years ago,
1: seven or eight years ago. What I wanted to do is like you were saying, I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to write down my, I'm going to write an autobiography was my first thought because I realized that I couldn't remember what my mise en place looked like at that. Uh, that fancy place I worked at in Kalamazoo, I couldn't mm-hmm. remember what my station looked like. And I thought, I'm going to forget all this stuff. So I thought, well, I'm going to write it all down. And then I started and I thought, this feels like work. What the hell am I doing? But I had <laughs> just started like listening to podcasts, yeah. right? So I was like, uh-huh. well, I can talk all day. You know, this is the thing that I've always been able to do. And so I did the very first episode that was about the very first restaurant I worked in. And then I thought, this is a lot of me just sort of talking to to nobody and my co-host, Steve, I've known him since 96. And so I asked him, I was like, because he's outside of the industry. I'm like, you're going to ask the questions that people outside of the industry would ask because you don't have the context for it. So could you yeah. come on and co-host and be a foil for me? And yeah, the first 26 or 27 episodes are just that me just telling stories about individual restaurants and him asking questions. That's great. Well, from there we didn't want to stop because it was so much fun. It's also a way for me to, cause he doesn't live here in Chicago. So it was a way for me to talk to my best friend once a week, you know? And so yeah. we, we've done all kinds of stuff where we've, we've watched movies. We've, you know, one of the things we love to do is go through any of those clickbaity, like, 12 tools that a chef says you have to have and we just go through and rip those apart you know that sort of thing that's and now now a lot of the stuff we do is news you know because there's unfortunately a lot of news in restaurants
0: these days Mm -hmm. well i mean that's a that's a brilliant idea to get somebody outside of the industry to kind of ask those questions because i feel like um being so in it you don't realize like that you're speaking a different language sometimes, you know, yeah. when you start talking about hotel pans and six pans, people go, "What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?" I don't understand yep. what you mean, but for anybody in the industry, they know exactly what you're talking about, you know?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I can say to you, I don't know what my me's looked like at that restaurant and you're like, oh, okay. And everybody else is yeah. like, the fuck did that
0: guy just say? What the fuck is me's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you you'd have to explain every single thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's very Whereas, true. That's, that's very good.
1: Like if that ninth pan moves one position further away, my, uh, whole service gets messed up to the point where like, that's how I live. I have to live in that organization. And now I can't remember what that looked like. It freaked me out to be honest. And so that's really, that was the genesis of the podcast is like, I can't, I can't lose these memories. I need to get this recorded somehow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you guys still do the podcast pretty much, uh, pretty regularly now. Yeah.
1: So I just dropped an episode yesterday
0: or was it today? I don't remember. We record
1: usually like Saturday or Sunday and I'll drop it on a Monday. And so we're up to 277 episodes right now. Wow. And I I started a podcast back in 2018 just about addiction in the industry. And it's mm-hmm. it's fine and people dig it, but I it feels weird to just have two separate podcasts. So what I'm doing is I'm migrating that one over. So I'm putting one episode per week of that show into the Feed for my show, and then I'm gonna wrap that one up once they're all in the main feed. Do you plan on
0: uh, keep doing the podcast like do you think it's a, a thing you're keep doing forever?
1: Probably you know the nice thing yeah. about the way that we do ours because it's free and we don't take any um sponsorship or anything like that. we get to just sort of do and say whatever we want, and nobody yeah. can be mad at us. I guess we could say things that would be libelous, but nobody mm-hmm. in the industry cares enough and everybody knows that even even if the story is not true it's probably true enough yeah
0: (laughs) no yeah yeah i think a lot of the stuff that's made of any sort of stink in the industry is made by uh media rather than people in kitchens because if you talk to people in kitchens they're just like yeah whatever you know yeah i'm worried about my station i'm worried about getting burned today more than i am about somebody who's saying something bad about me they don't really care that much you know yeah they're they're worried about their their own thing you know
1: well, these days you're worried about you ordered tomatoes from your produce guy and they didn't show up for three days in a row, you know,
0: or that they're like $20 more a case. yeah, That kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so what else you got on the horizon? Are you pretty much just working and podding and that's it? Yeah. I mean,
1: currently, yeah. So unfortunately I have to add two years to everything that I, every story that I tell now, because we've lost essentially two years because of COVID, but working for a private school has been really interesting throughout this whole time period, because over the last two and a half years, I've had six different service models at this school. We've had to be really flexible and we came in on a Wednesday and for the next Monday, our service model was totally different, right? Because of the way that the school was handling COVID protocols and And all of that. And so coming into this school year is the first time that I've felt in two years that we really know what we're doing (laughs) and we really know what the expectation is. Yeah. And uh, for right now, I don't have any plans to leave this position or this company. It just happened to be that I fell into just the right job at just the right time. I've got a lot of stuff going on in the other, you know, the rest of my life. My son's 13. My daughter's nine. We just bought a new house. Like there's a lot going on. So changing my job is probably not, not the best thing to do right now.
0: Yeah. How do you, how do you like this, this sort of kitchen as opposed to um, the many kitchens you've been in the the past?
1: I'm cooking less than I want, which is Mm -hmm. kind of always going to be a thing because I want to be able to make the money that I'm making and have the advantages and the healthcare and all that kind of stuff and just be a cook. And that doesn't really exist, you know? So I'm doing, I'm doing a lot more management, which is, I mean, it's, it's my crew is great, but there's so much other stuff going on that affects how they're able to do their jobs from supply line stuff to schedules changing to like, I have six cooks that work for me. And if one of them is out, you know how staffing goes. If one of them is out, that means an entire station is just empty for the day and you can't have that. It's not like somebody yeah. taking a, a day off from an office job, right? Like if, if my, my gal who makes soup and the vegetables for the day doesn't show up, somebody still needs to do those things, you know? And so, yeah. so much of my job isn't cooking that I've had to get used to that. And I don't know that I like that I've gotten used to it, but yeah, it's, it's what pays the bills these days,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did you, did you feel that that was a necessary step or yeah, necessary evil, I guess? Well, I mean, for me it definitely was you
1: know like i needed to take care of my physical health like i i had a foot problem that was so bad i hate to i'm such an old guy right but i had a foot problem that was so bad i had to go see a doctor about it i've been to the doctor like 10 times in my whole adult life and i had to go see a doctor about this foot thing and i had to not wear clogs anymore which just about broke my heart because i love my clogs and i had to wear a work boot for like two years to fix what was wrong with my foot. Now I can go back into clogs, but like 19 year old me would never have gone to the doctor because my foot hurt, you know? So I have to make decisions like that these days. But then I also switched to a standing desk in my office because if I sit down, I'm going to fall asleep, you know, like I'm going to completely (laughs) downshift and that's not going to be good for anybody. Um, I now like, I'll go out of my way to make my menu at the school complicated or add something or put on a, an action station or something so that it would overload my cooks so that I have to go do it myself. Like I do that shit on purpose because otherwise <laughs> if I go a whole yeah. week at my job without doing any cooking, I'm going to lose my mind. You know, there's yeah, only just so much sourdough and pickles and shit like that. I can do with my own house. Cause my kids are going to look at me like, can we just have real regular food? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So I have to, I have to do these things for myself to stay interested at the school. And luckily I have mm-hmm. almost complete creative control. If it turns out the kids at the school hate all the food that I'm making, then there's a different conversation. But for the most part, like we get to do sort of whatever we want,
0: which is great. What is the menu like there? How are kids eating nowadays? It's pretty good. It's insane. It's absolute insanity.
1: So my shop, like I said, we have a, we have a hotline that has everything from like what you would expect at a school, like chicken nuggets and hot dogs all the way up through like braised brisket. We do a teriyaki salmon that the kids really love. We do sticky rice. So it's a, pretty broad variety and it changes every single day. So we're on a four week menu cycle. So I have 20 different days in that cycle where they're all different. We have a salad bar that again has what you would expect, chopped fruit, lettuce, toppings for the salads. But then we make all our own dressings. We do like a quinoa salad and a lentil salad. And we have this jicama. um, It's a jicama and apple slaw with like cilantro and lime. And I've got five-year-olds who will eat nothing but that for lunch. It's, it's wow. mind boggling to me. And so awesome. these kids, yeah, where my company really succeeds is in variety. We put out so many different things. Everybody can find something. And I, again, yeah, I'm shocked. I've got teachers coming up to me going, I didn't even know what quinoa was. And now it's my favorite. thing." <laughs> like, All right,
0: That's great. It should be like that across the country.
1: Right. And then mm-hmm. I look at the menu for my kids who go to Chicago public schools and I go, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I'll make your lunch
0: for tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Jeez, man. What is that like? Is that like uh, the typical like pizza, yeah, you know, chili, that kind of stuff? Jeez, oh, man. yeah.
1: My kids tell me horror stories oh, about it. But, I mean, weird. it makes them appreciate me more, which I'm totally fine that's, with. That's good. But oh, yeah. more often than not, we're making their lunches, you know.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, um, I think I've taken up enough of your time, man, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe of course. we'll do a part two sometime when you finish the bear. We can... Uh, we could talk about it or something. That'd be that'd be fun because I have very yeah. strong opinions about it. And uh, and I'm sure you'll have strong opinions as well. So
1: yeah, for sure. Well, what cracks me up the most about the bear and I would totally be down for coming back to talk about it is that the guy I right. told you about Jason, who he yeah. and I were going to move to Milwaukee and open a restaurant. Uh-huh. The main character in the bear may as well just be Jason. And oh, yeah. About five minutes in, I was like, holy shit, that's Jason. And it makes the show, like, a little less stressful, but also way funnier. Because I'm like, fucking, it's Jason. You know? What I need to do, I need to finish the show and then call him and be like, dude, I saw your show. So, yeah, you
0: feel like it feels personal? Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, appreciate you taking the time to talk, man.
1: Yeah, thank you. This has been awesome.